0: Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Well, hello there, everyone. We are back in the basement. We're in John 21. Where we left off, uh, Jesus has had breakfast with the disciples after he met them on the beach. This is post-cross. Uh, He is resurrected and has revealed himself for the third time on the beach in Galilee where the disciples were waiting for Jesus. The disciples went back to fishing, not all fishermen, but Peter sort of spearheaded this fishing trip where they caught nothing. But Jesus from the beach and them unknowing that it was Jesus initially calls out to them and says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. The nets proceed to fill. And John is cued in with spiritual discernment that it is Jesus on the beach. He tells Peter, Peter jumps into the water, throws himself into the water after he puts his coat on. Kind of a strange thing. And then as Peter gets to the beach, uh, Jesus says, hey, come bring some of the fish and let's have breakfast. So Peter hauls 153 fish. Um <laughs> Uh, big, big boy move um, onto the beach and they proceed to have breakfast. And we see uh, the importance of mealtime with Jesus. A simple act of ministry is sitting down to a meal uh, with individuals connecting with, reconnecting with. And we see that Jesus meets the physical needs of the disciples before he enters into this powerful moment that we're going to look at today. So we're going to read in John 21. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Here we go. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Peter saw him. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. So, Jesus turns to Peter, and he has this powerful conversation. And we could, if if you're very detail-oriented, you would have seen this a while ago. In John 21, there's a clue uh, for this uh, this occurrence, this conversation is about to happen. There's a clue that John leaves here. So John 21, verse 9, it says, when they got out on the land, this is after they were fishing, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it and bread. This charcoal fire, we only see a charcoal fire in the gospel of John one other time. And it's before the cross, before the crucifixion in John 18, verse 15. It says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. This was after Peter. Jesus was arrested. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not One of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servant and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So we see a charcoal fire is present. There's this element of the setting where Peter denies Jesus. And it's so fitting that there is a charcoal fire present in the setting in which Jesus restores Peter, restores Peter, because that's really what this conversation is. It's where Jesus restores Peter. So we see in this conversation, Jesus turning publicly, don't get get this skewed in your mind. It's not that Jesus wandered off with Peter, um, but he's there with the disciples. So this is a public restoration because Peter's sin was public. With public sin should be public restoration. With private sin should be private restoration. Um, w- w- when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? So his initial question includes Do you love me more than these? Now you could speculate, maybe, um, is Jesus questioning Peter's level of love compared to the other disciples? Now we can throw this out because all of the disciples loved Jesus, of course, minus Judas, right? But he's not present. All the disciples loved Jesus. Jesus wouldn't question Peter's level of love up against the other disciples. Now, for those of you who are maybe in the boat, (laughs) haha, the boat of questioning Peter's reasons for going back to fishing, was he going back to fishing uh, for the wrong reasons? Is Jesus questioning, hey, Peter, do you love me more than your boats and your nets? Well, we can throw that out because we have other scriptures where Peter is showing his zeal and his love for Jesus before the cross. And what this question saying, do you love me more than these? It's pinpointing These statements made by John. The first one is in John 13. This is at the beginning of the Upper Room Discourse, um, uh, from what we understand, uh, or at least during uh, this conversation at the Passover meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Simon Peter said to the Lord, this is chapter uh, 13 of the Gospel of John in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow. Till you have denied me three times. Again, we see in Matthew 26, either a similar conversation or the same one. Um, Just another take on it. Of course, the Gospels are are different recordings of some of the same events and and the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell them and even John tell them uh, are from their perspective. Still divinely inspired. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. God the Father striking the shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you. Galilee. This was the clue that the disciples had. This is why they were waiting in Galilee for Jesus to come. Uh, Here in Matthew 26, he had made this statement. So after the cross, they went to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. Making this bold statement. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus or Peter is the forerunner of these bold statements of faith towards Jesus. These bold statements of love and loyalty towards Jesus. Jesus. But of course, we know the way it ends up is Peter's actions speak louder than his words. He denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus foretold in his omniscience. But now, also in his omniscience, in John 21, we see Jesus addressing the heart of Peter. You go on to read the rest of the life of Peter, and we see that he's got an uh, basically, an epic life of of living for the kingdom, living for the Lord, and and Jesus is drawing his heart to the only place it needs to be. He's addressing Peter's heart because he he knows where Peter is going to find his strength, his hope, his refuge. It is in the love of Jesus. It is for the love of God. For the love of God. And this is so important for us to remember as we navigate him, him asking this question three times. It's not challenging his love compared to the disciples. It's not challenging his love of fishing. It's Jesus honing in and targeting the heart of Peter. It's a one-on-one conversation. Yes, publicly, but a one-on-one conversation with Peter addressing his heart. And Jesus seeks this same conversation with all of us. That that's why we we open up the word of God and we explore who God is as revealed in his word. And that should lead us into a place of prayer and worship and celebration that we would encounter the presence of God. And, and Jesus will have through the power of his spirit conversations with your heart and with your mind and with you challenging your heart as well. Because we are all called to live a life bearing his image, bearing the good news of who Jesus is, a God of love. He goes on to call him into the ministry. Essentially, he's already said, follow me pre-cross, but now he's calling him and giving him specific instructions. He says, as Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now, before we get any further, we have to get something out of the way, because maybe you've heard this before, and maybe you've heard this taught before. This is actually that something that I I thought for a long time that there was a lot of significance, and maybe there is, maybe there is, uh, but there's just not enough evidence to really support it. Um, for these reasons, I'm about to lay out for you. So. There's an interesting thing going on with the play of the word love. In the Greek language, there are multiple words for love. When Jesus is calling on Simon Peter's love for him, right? Peter's love for Jesus. He says, do you love me? The word he uses there is agape in Greek. The way it is recorded in Greek is agape. This love is a divine love, a perfect love, a supreme love. It is the highest level of love that there is within the Greek language, right? So, but then when, when Peter says, you know that I love you, he uses the word phileo, which means uh, like a friendship love, a friend to friend love, obviously not reaching the heights of agape, now, maybe you've heard this taught before because the first time Jesus asks him, he says, do you love me, agape? And, and Peter responds with phileo. The second time he says, do you love me, agape? Do you agape me? And Peter responds with phileo. Then the third time Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you friend to friend love me? And Peter responds with um, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. So uh, some some would say, okay, so Jesus was calling him to this supreme love and Peter was unmovable. And so he wouldn't reach um, up to the agape love. So Jesus comes down to his level, just like Jesus meets us where we're at, you know, meets us at our level. Not that that isn't true. Jesus does meet us where we're at. And he does also call us to more, right? Challenges our level of love for him, right? He's calling us into the deepest parts of love. Um, just like explained in the upper room discourse, he's calling us to a deep place with Jesus, a deep place with him, that that he would be in us and us in him and him in the father, this deep unity, right? But I don't think that's the focal point because A, they are undoubtedly were not speaking Greek to one another on this beach in Galilee. They were speaking Aramaic to one another. Um, And also in the gospel of John, phileo and agape are used interchangeably throughout the gospel, which would indicate that potentially John just used those words interchangeably and maybe um, wasn't, putting those words in there significantly, um, but maybe he was. Um, so maybe there is something here, but there's just not enough evidence to really draw off of the the interplay of the words of love between agape and phileo. Now, maybe there is. Maybe there is. Maybe one day when you open up the word and you read through this and, and God is speaking to you, Specifically in that moment as an individual, just like he's speaking to Simon Peter, maybe he's calling you to a deeper love. Maybe he's challenging your level of love for him and he's calling you into more. Maybe he's challenging you in that. So don't write that off, but also know that that there are elements other elements at play they were speaking Aramaic and these words are used interchangeably throughout the gospel of John where either agape or phileo could be applicable so with that out of the way we see Jesus calling Peter to feed my lambs obviously we see the uh, even in 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 the prophecy uh, the the prophetic word that Jesus gives beforehand in saying the, the shepherd will be struck and the flock will scatter all throughout scripture. We see this, this imagery of the flock of God, the church of God being um, referenced as sheep. We've seen this also in the gospel of John already with Jesus as the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And later on, uh, even as we go through this, we'll be in first Peter where he's referred to as the chief shepherd. That's God is the great shepherd, the good shepherd and the chief shepherd that he is the shepherd of us, his sheep, us, his sheep. But he's saying, uh, Peter, would you come and would you be uh, sort of like a sub shepherd um, and feed my lambs, feed my lambs? So what does it mean to feed the lambs feed the lambs well we see in uh, uh let's say w- what is that scripture the um, the temptation of jesus right um matthew 4 matthew 4 it says here in matthew 4 and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights um this is jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus is answering this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying that true food and true sustenance is the word of God. And that's where we get this uh, to feed the sheep is to present the word of God, the preaching of the word of God is so crucial in the health of the flock, of the church, of any and all of us who walk in the way of Jesus, those who are following after Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. But he's calling uh, Peter to be a part of this process of pastoring, um, or at least feeding the lambs. So he would be one who would proclaim the word of God, bring the word of God. And we see this in acts, um, two, where, where they're waiting for the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit comes upon them like tongues of fire and they walk outside and, and they are preaching the word of God, the message of who Jesus is in multiple languages to multiple nations that were represented in that place. And Peter steps up and he preaches a sermon about the good news of who Jesus is. And 3000 people came to know him, feed my lambs. Notice the word lamb as well, that that is a less developed sheep, right? He says, feed my lambs. And there's a progression here that He's feeding the lambs that they the lambs would come into the flock as less mature, right? And then the second time Jesus calls uh, calls out Peter's love. Where is your love rooted? Where where is is the root of your heart? And he says, "Yes, Lord." He confirms, "Yes." And again, that goes back to the agape and phileo. He does confirm, "Yes, uh, yes, Lord, I do love you." Matching that love. Whether agape or phileo, he's matching that love. He's saying, I love you. I love you. He was willing to throw on his coat and jump out of the boat. As we talked about last time, this shameless, shameless, um, undignified move to come towards Jesus. He clearly loved Jesus, right? Um, And he said to him, tend my sheep in the second, the second time he challenges that love. He says, tend my sheep. Now this word means to shepherd. We also see this word, so we've seen to teach, right? To feed, to teach my sheep. Now we see to shepherd. Now this brings us to Ephesians 4, where there are spiritual gifts laid out in um, Scripture, uh, tons of different spiritual gifts. Uh, We've talked about this at Encounter before, but... um, Tons of different spiritual gifts. If you just look up the spiritual gifts within scripture, there are a number of different scriptures that lay those out. Ephesians 4, we see, uh, yes, you need giftings to operate within what are called the offices. This is more of a church organization, uh, organiz- organizational piece where these are the offices that are laid out by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4, it says, and he gave the apostles... Right, which would be the disciples and and the apostle Paul, uh, for the foundational uh, building up of the church. Uh, then we see the prophets, which is a still standing office that there are uh, those who get words for the edification of the church. Not that you know a lot of people are self self professing prophets saying this is going to happen in the future, but realize within Scripture if. If those prophetic words do not come to pass, um, the standard within scripture was back in the Old Testament, if a prophet said something and it didn't happen, they would be put to death. So it's a serious thing. Don't fake it. But you may have the gift of prophecy, but this is the office of a prophet within a church. Then there are evangelists. Um, Those who share the good news and who are specifically prone to share the good news. My brother is a great example of that. He is an evangelist. He's gifted in evangelism. And if he were uh, within a church given an office, his office would probably be evangelist, most likely, according to his giftings, right? But again, these are offices. Um, These are individuals given to the church for the edification of the church. Then we see the shepherds. And the teachers as two separate um, offices, but most times, uh, for whatever reason, throughout church history, and maybe it's because of this text here in verse twenty-one, that most times, if you see a like a lead pastor within a church, they have shepherding giftings as well as teaching giftings. Not always, but uh, but most times. So, and then in verse twelve, it says what these offices are for, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to mature manhood. So again, we see, uh, that, that these offices are given, um, to, certain individuals, for the edification of the church that we would bring, uh, going back to chapter 21, we would bring the body from lambs to sheep, from lambs to sheep. But also we need to realize that even if you don't carry one of these offices, we are all supposed to be, be focused in on the protection and the perfection of the body of Christ, you have a role to play within the body of Christ, um, and I, if we are living from the presence of God, I have no doubt that that God is going to communicate to you, if He hasn't already, your giftings and the way that you get to participate in the edification of the church. These are the primary offices that we're talking about, and Jesus is calling him into one of these primary offices. Another scripture uh, that talks about sort of this shepherding, um, which we use the word pastor, right? We use the word pastor. Um, That's where that comes from, a shepherd, one who would care for or tend the flock. In 1 Peter 5, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed crown of glory. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. The unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter obviously wrote first Peter five. Um, He wrote 1 Peter 5, and he had this direct conversation with Jesus where Jesus is calling his heart to a place of humility. Peter, you cannot love more than you love me or value your love for those around us. He's honing in. This is where you're going to see this happen. This is how you're going to be able to shepherd. This is how you're going to be able to feed is by staying close to me. And loving me is your primary objective. Loving me is your primary objective. And this calling to feed my sheep, to to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, and to feed my sheep will flow from your love for me. This is so crucial for us to remember as followers of Jesus, all of the life that God created us for, the life of love the life of ministry, whatever that looks like, whether you're in the marketplace or maybe you hold one of these offices in a church and you've, you've been called to vocational ministry. No matter what it is, you are called to ministry, whether that's having meals with people outside of your job. Whatever you do, you are created in the image of God to bring the image of God to the world. But where this comes from is a life of loving God your love for god comes first and foremost and that's why i stress that here um is that we we sit down with the word of god discover who god is and that leads us into the presence of god where we pray and worship and we hear from god and that's where we live our lives from that's where we live our lives from uh at the end of this peter gets frustrated or is grieved it says not frustrated grieved because he said, this is third time. Do you love me? But Jesus is saying this three times over, three times over to stress the point to both Peter and to us now, because this is divinely written down and has been divinely protected throughout all of history, um, from then on so that we can draw off of this as well. Jesus is, is giving us this, this major, major tip that a life, a, a, a life for his kingdom and for him comes from a place of loving him. And he says, feed my sheep one more time. And then in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you wherever you or where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That goes back to first Peter, uh, five. Um, this of course is before Peter was killed, but obviously Peter knew this, that, um, and when the chief shepherds uh, shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, we, as a, as humanity, we have this fear of death. We have this fear of death, but our life is lived to show the image of God. And so the apostles saw death as a moment of glory that was like a ceiling of this life uh, that we get to live, to show the glory of God, to live in the glory of God. Um, And we've talked about that before that there are texts within scripture that says God is even shaping us into his glory, that we get to be vessels of his glory and his good news. Um, again, pointing at that, that's that's why we do what we do. That's why if God is asking us to feed sheep or or to you know go and work an everyday job, but bring the love of Jesus in there, we do it for the glory of God. We do it for the love of God. Again, it's the love of God that is the center of. The center of everything that we do for the love of God. We are good parents to our children for the love of God. We are good at the work that we have signed up for, whether that's at Starbucks, McDonald's, or you are in a fortune 500 company and and you are leading the charge. Um, We do it for the love of God, for the glory of God, for the love of God. We do these things. That's why we love our husbands and wives. Um, We do it for the love of God not necess- we of course we we want to love our spouses but but we do it for the love of god first and foremost not even for the love of our spouse we love our spouse for the love of god and and this is such a foreign concept to us in our culture because it, normally we would do things for the love of us uh, relationships are a great example of that in that I've talked to so many people going, yeah, I left that relationship because I wasn't getting what I wanted. I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. That's the for the love of self. And if you're entering into a relationship or a job or parenting or whatever it is for the love of self, it will end in failure and it will end in destruction. But if you do things for the love of God, there is an excellence that pours out of that. There's an excellence that pours out of that. That when God is because of your love for him, when he is empowering and fueling the life that you live because you bear his image, you live an epic life, an epic life because it's for the love of God. It's all about God. It's all about him and all about his glory, not yours, not yours. And that's what we were created for. That's what we were created for. So he says to continue in verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me, follow me. This is after the cross. This is his resurrected, this is resurrected Jesus. And he's saying, continue to follow me, continue to follow me. It is for the love of God that you live. Verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that's John following them. So maybe they've gotten up and started to go for a walk or whatever it may be. Uh, the one who also had leaned against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it who will betray you? We know that Peter and John were close, obviously, with the, the marathon to the grave um, that they were <laughs> running. They were together. They were within uh, Jesus's inner circle, Right. And so when Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, um, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me, follow me. So it goes on to say that there was this rumor that was spread that John, uh, is never going to die because Jesus said this, but, but Jesus is just making a, a, a point with, Peter. He's like, I get it. You love John. And and that's not a bad thing to love the people around us and to care about where they're headed. But again, this is a moment of, as Jesus is restoring Peter, he's calling Peter into the ministry to be a shepherd and a teacher. He's restoring Peter from his denial. He's also focusing his attention. He's saying it's for the love of God So focus on me, follow me, pay attention to me. And I know there are so many people out there who love to point fingers at other people in the church who are doing it the wrong way or who are doing it the right way. And I think this is a message for us in our culture right now. Are you following God? Is God calling you to point that finger? Okay, if the answer is yes, more power to you. But I think a lot of times we get focused on the people around us because we're not focusing in on what God has called us to do on what God has called us to do. And he's saying to Peter, don't focus on what John's called to do. Don't focus on what John's called to do. What is that to you? I'm asking you to follow me for the love of God. I want you to feed my, my lambs. I want you to tend my sheep into maturity. We see that process from lambs to sheep into maturity. I want you to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and then feed my sheep. This, this care for the church. He's calling Peter into care for the church. And as Peter is looking around going, well, what about these guys? He goes, focus, focus, Peter. Come on, focus. You follow me. You follow me. You follow me. Now I do think it is significant, uh, significant even with this rumor floating around that John wouldn't um, wouldn't die um, ever until well until the uh, Jesus's second coming. Um, I do think it's significant and and uh, uh, semi humorous uh, that with this rumor going around, the revelation of the end times, uh, the book called Revelation at the end of our Bibles, was uh, revealed to John. And it's, it's the final book of our Bible because it's the revealed end times, right? Um, and it was revealed to John. Um, it, of all people, it was revealed to him. Uh, again, as a witness about the things to come. It is another revelation of Jesus. It is the second coming of Jesus. And um, yeah, sort of an interesting tidbit. But but the story ends, um, the gospel, this story and this account of Jesus's life. Again, a specific, uh, gospel account of Jesus's life with specific witnesses, specific signs, all pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ as the son of God, God himself, that he is the Messiah, the savior, that God, the father wills it all, that Jesus Christ is the son. Um, the, the, the one who carries out the will of the father and the Holy spirit is the delight between the two. John is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. um, part of, uh, he is God, um, part of that triune God. And he closes his gospel with, this is the disciple. John, um, is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did where were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Man, if somebody wrote down your whole life, um, it would probably uh, fill a library. Um, But then if someone wrote down all of Jesus's um, life and wrote about the things that he did. John is saying the significance of his life would fill the whole world. And isn't that true? Um, but I love that that John, of course, was divinely inspired to write this book, to point to the deity of Christ, to point to um, the one who we are to look to, who we are to focus in on. And he caps the end of his book His book with this beautiful ministry moment of a miracle, a meal, uh, the restoration of one of his disciples. And he calls him to love him, to focus in on loving him, that all things will pour forth from here on out um, from his love for the love of God. And that he needs to fix his eyes on him, not the people around us, love the people around us, but fix our eyes, our motivation in a life. Living um, in the way of Jesus is for the love of God, following Jesus through the power of the Spirit and that we don't have to worry about what's going on around us. We just need to live for the love of God, doing what he has asked us to do, following the things that Jesus did and the things that he's calling us into now. Uh, I want to encourage you to Open up the word of God and let it guide you into a place. Uh, as we close the gospel of John, at least here, um, I just want to call you into a place where you would spend some time meditating with Jesus. Um, is there a conversation that needs to be had? Um, maybe he would challenge your love um, for him. Maybe you need to refocus And, and refocus on the fact that you live for the love of God, that his image would be shown on this earth. And, and maybe your eyes are fixed in other places. And Jesus is asking you to just come on. What is that to you? Just follow me. You follow me. Uh, So let's have those conversations uh, with Jesus. Let's let the word of God lead us into the presence of God, into prayer, into listening for his voice um, and his word to us. Um, And let that lead us into a life of celebration and worship of him. Uh, I pray that this is a blessing to you. Always a pleasure to get to be with you. And I'm looking forward to the next time.